Hey there, Hit Like a Girl Pod listeners. We've got some exciting news that's too good to keep to ourselves. You all know Grace Minton, whose stories have captivated us over the past couple years. Well, Grace has been doing such an amazing job with her show, High Tea with Grace, that it's time for her to shine even brighter. Yes, you heard that right. High Tea with Grace has graduated to its own show with its own brand new RSS feed. While we've loved sharing Grace's episodes as special bonuses on the Hit Like a Girl pod, it's now time to give Grace the spotlight she deserves. So what does that mean for you? To continue enjoying the compelling stories and insights from Grace, head over to your favorite podcast platform and hit that subscribe button for High Tea with Grace. Trust us, you don't want to miss out on what she has in store. Her latest series is dedicated to understanding the VC funding world, aka Fund Like a Girl. Thank you for supporting us, and let's show some love for Grace on her exciting new journey. Remember, search for High Tea with Grace and subscribe today. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joya Rios. And on this show, we talk about how complicated the healthcare system can be. We often liken it to a 30,000 piece puzzle because it is that complicated. And each one of our guests brings a level of experience and expertise about their piece of the puzzle. And I'm excited to share today's guest, Yael. Yael, could you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Yael Israeli born and bred. At the moment, I am the chief strategy officer at Fertility, a company based out of Israel. We're a medtech company uh, supporting the reproductive uh, healthcare space uh, through a AI decision support tool. Can you briefly describe what's your role as the chief strategy officer at Fertility? Oh, absolutely. So what the chief strategy and chief marketing people do is actually we define the strategy going forward, understanding the marketplace, where the space is going, fertility, as well as machine learning, AI, and innovative technology in general. And we try to hook up with this, which eventually will lead up to improved outcomes. If you think about it, the strategy as a whole the WHO, the World Health Organization, is being challenged with the aging population, not just global warming, but the aging population, as well as the decline in, in birth. So, in fact, who, when I am a grandmother, many, many years from now, we need the population to help uh, be productive and help support this aging population. So there's a big issue here. And I think... Part of the role that we're trying to play, and myself also as the chief strategy and marketing, is how do we bring advanced technology into health spaces that actually can solve some of these issues. Is that part of what motivated you to enter the field of AI and specifically in relation to IVF? I love that question. Thank you for it. So before I joined Fertility, I worked at Teva Pharmaceuticals. It's a giant uh, generic company with a much smaller innovative part. Most of my career was actually in uh, um, in big pharmas and innovate, uh, innovative products. And in the last few years, it was obvious that there are no new molecules and the change in the health space is going to come actually from something different. And I had identified uh, machine learning, AI, everything around really uh, 
technology, how technology hooks up with, we see it in our everyday life, but how technology hooks up with health and brings that same advancement in thinking and uh, and in tools into the space. Uh, so this is how I got into the sales. I was looking around. I was trying to uh, to look for a company that hits home. Women's health has always been uh, uh, close to my heart. I did women's health at Teva for uh, three years. I'm a woman myself. Half the population is women. Bringing those two together was like a home run for me. That's incredible. Okay, in layman's terms, how does Fertility use AI to increase the efficiency of IVF procedures? How does that actually work? If you think about AI, what AI does, it takes a large amount of data, something that we humans don't necessarily know how to process, how to analyze, because our brain, what can I say? It is limited. The algorithms that encapsulate all of this tremendous amount of data. I'm talking about millions of data points. What they do is they look for patterns and patterns that we don't necessarily see. And based on these patterns, they're able to make predictions or provide insights that we as humans are unable to see. So the way it works, and and I'll give you a very layman example, okay? So you as a person, as a mother, as a manager, you make a decision, right? I'm going now to turn left at this corner. And then new information comes into play where you learn in any given point of time that, uh, for example, if you turn right here, there's a huge traffic jam worthwhile going straight. This will alter your decision. This happens on the road. Me as a manager, I would make or change my decision based on new information coming in with AI and a uh, particularly Chloe, uh, Chloe embryo quality and Chloe oocyte quality, we provide that additional information that was never there before. So this additional information, when you give it to the clinician, in addition to the current toolbox that they have, now have new information and can make reassessments, reevaluations, even share it with their patients to see what is the best fit Uh, going forward for that patient. So it's making me think of like Google Maps and it's like there may have been a direction where you say, okay, here's how you get from point A to point B where you're trying to go. But like Waze, for example, which I think was bought by one of the, it will tell you there's traffic over here or there's something on the road and it will tell you like, okay, technically you still need to go from point A to point B, but there's all these other ways that you might be able to get there faster or more conveniently. That's exactly right. When new information comes to you, then you can make a different decision, a better decision. And hopefully, by the way, Waze is AI based as well. It's right. AI, something different. It's also Israeli. Uh, it's an Israeli based company. Yay, Israel. But for our, uh, you can take, you can scratch it out. Oh no, I'll keep it. <laughs> but for our case, it's exactly right. Once you have new information, then you feel comfortable and confident to make a reassessment or to make a different decision or even to change your mind completely. So what's the kind of data that that's being used? If you're looking at IVS, uh, do I need to explain what IVS is about or is this something that is known for everybody? Let's give it a quick, if you got like a 60 minute, 60 second overview, just in case, you know, people don't quite get it. So infertility is when you're unable to get pregnant after trying for over a period of 12 months. Then you would go to your reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist, and you would try to understand how you do it. 
In the IVF process, which is in vitro fertilization, basically we fertilize the female's egg with a sperm in a dish. That's in vitro fertilization. So what we do is uh, the process very schematically. We stimulate the ovaries to produce more than the regular one egg at a time. We then extract the egg from the ovaries. We fertilize them in the dish. We let them grow similar to how they would grow in the woman's body. But we do this in an incubator. Once they've grown and we see that we have a good quality embryo, we would transfer it back, hoping that there was a pregnancy. I think it was even less than 60 seconds. That's the nuts and bolts of the IVF process without the pain and the emotional uh, roller coaster that women go. So what we do is uh, in the land of big data and huge data, when you put the fertilized egg now uh, an embryo into the incubator, think that you have an embryo would grow to be a full blast over a period of five days. You have a, a full video of those five days. It's called a time-lapse video from a time-lapse incubator. Yeah, we do this, by the way, on our phones, right? You can take a, a flower blooming and you show a time-lapse picture. So you see it's very, very fast. So the incubator takes a single picture every 10 to 15 minutes. And then you have a clip. Our system has the ability to take all of these single images, analyze it, and provide insight to how this, the quality and the viability of the embryo. So how does this compare to everyday work? Is that your next question? Sure. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> you have embryologists. It's a great profession. And what embryologists do is they actually, so in the IVF process, let's say you have 10, 12, depending on, on your age, depending on various factors, you would have, let's say, about 10 embryos, some better, some less, but a few of them reached a blastocyst state. Now, how do you choose which blast to transfer first? If you choose the right one, then you get pregnant that first month. But if you miss, then basically this is where your pregnancy possibility is being delayed one month by another month, by a third month. And what if the best embryo has been decided upon that it's a bad embryo? So you lost a good embryo, which could have become a baby, just because it's all based on our human subjective um, analysis. Yeah, I was going to say, can I pause for a second to just try to confirm I understand? Before AI technology, humans would be, embryologists would be looking at the eggs themselves and just, and just sort of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. we're just going to pick one. And then that's going to be the, and then, and then with AI, we can now just, yeah, before AI and then with AI, oh, even today. This is the standard practice today. So you would extract as many eggs as the, the woman has. You would put them in the dish. Some of them would be mature, some not, some would be not viable. You would fertilize them. Two ways of fertilization. Let's go with a simple one. You put a drop of semen on it and they get, you let nature do its thing, right? And they get fertilized. Now you take, let's say you get 10 embryos, right? Because once you fertilize the egg, you have a zygote and you have the embryo. You put it in an incubator. Why? Because it has to assimilate the embryo uh, it growing in our body, in our uterus. And over these days, these 10 little embryos are growing. Some grow to a phase, which is a good phase. This is called a blastocyst. Others don't. Others don't make it to the finish line, right? So now once you have these embryos, 
of the 10, let's say you have five, six that are good, viable, high quality embryos, which do you transfer first? How do you do that? Hmm. By the way, the same question goes to the eggs. How do you choose if you have enough eggs, if they're good enough? Are they going to produce a baby, right? So take uh, uh, Courtney Kardashian, if I'm not mistaken. I think her name was not Courtney. Was it Courtney? Wait, I'll tell you. Oh, Kim, maybe. I don't know. I don't follow the Kardashians. Yes, it was Courtney. But we leave it. But the whole idea is that you base your decision on information that you have, that you collect. As an embryologist, whether it's eggs or egg freezing embryos for transfer and IVF processes. And what AI does is really provide you that additional information that wasn't there before. It fills an information gap that didn't exist that can enable clinicians make a fully, a more educated decision. Fully in terms of what... Yeah, and imagine if that allows you to reduce the number of IVF cycles that are needed in order for a successful live birth, like that is super meaningful for a couple, a family, an individual going through this process. Because I would imagine that there is like a physical and emotional burden from going through IVF in general. Everybody that I know who has gone through it, it's... You know, it's not easy. It's not an... Yeah, and the numbers are actually shocking because if you take an average, the success rate of IVF is is around 25%. So imagine out of nine or eight people who... Eight women or couple that come, only two succeed. So six go home without having a successful uh, outcome of their IVF process. Years, three, four years down the line. So it is, it's a very... uh, emotionally uh, strenuous process for couples, for women, for everybody. That's exactly right. So, And it's not cheap either, right? Like it's not, it's something that a lot of people have to either pay out of pocket or, you know, seek special, you know, financial assistance for. So if you can reduce the number of cycles that somebody would need to go through, you're helping them in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Uh, The average cost of a cycle can run up to $30,000 in the U.S., Across Europe, there is some support, some sponsorship. It depends on the different countries. But still, the prices are very high. I think Israel is very unique in this space where uh, the costs are actually quite low. But aside from Israel and our 10 million people here, it's, it's a very, very costly process. You're absolutely right. And if we can assist in any way in shortening uh, the number of cycles to pregnancy, to live birth, I think uh, we definitely we can say uh, we've done our work. But there's another angle here, which is important, and I'd like to share. It's not just providing more information because AI can give you a score. Okay, so let's if we take go back to the Waze example. How does Waze know that this is shorter than this? So that's an easy one, right? Because you say, oh, what do you mean? People report the traffic; they know it. But usually there's a, there's, you probably heard the black box of AI, the proverbial black box of AI. And I think one of the reasons, especially when you're bringing AI into the health space, how do you build that trust and how can I trust AI? So this is why it's okay. So I lost five minutes on, on route. But when you're bringing it into the health space, how can I trust it? And here, this is where we shine a light on this proverbial black box of AI and provide explainability and, and transparency 
And what do I mean by that? So if you're giving a prediction on an OSI or on an embryo, you usually get a score. And then the embryologist is left by deciding, okay, how do I know if this score is right or not? How can I trust it? So Chloe, Chloe Embryo Quality Insights and Chloe Oocyte uh, Quality Insights, they provide some insights on the development, if we're talking about embryos, and the development of the embryos. Did the biological events happen on time? Okay. Uh, was there fertilization? Was this uh, a small embryo versus others? Was it a slow developing one? Did it reach the blast in time? And once you have that picture that explains how the score um, is provided, what we call the explainability behind it, it really does provide uh, confidence to the clinicians to say, okay, you know what? I was deliberating or contemplating between these three embryos, uh, which one? Usually you flip a coin. If you ask an embryologist, I'm not one, but they would say, I would flip a coin. Here, you know what? Chloe says embryo A and not B, let's go with A. So hopefully this is a new frontier. So hopefully going forward, we will also have a lot of research to show exactly because don't forget, you get pregnant, then there's the nine months. So how economically this is going to impact uh, patients, the healthcare uh, bodies, and so on. If I understand correctly, somebody's interaction with Chloe would be a one-time event at the beginning of like kind of deciding which embryo to implant into a birthing person, or is it something that would happen? Uh, would they interact with Chloe additionally multiple times? I guess, and then I guess side question to that is how does it connect or interoperate with an EHR or other technology within a healthcare setting? So very good question. So in the IVF lab, consider you're now an embryologist and we just put the embryo, you're undergoing IVF, we just put the embryo in the time-lapse incubator to grow, to become a blastocyst so we can transfer it back. So the embryologist would view all of the embryos growing over that period. Sometimes they would uh, say, I want to leave this embryo for the sixth day, seventh day. So they would be looking at it throughout the embryo development over up to a week from five to seven days. In some cases, and this is where it becomes interesting, Chloe is predictive of blastulation on day three. What does that mean? That already on day three, if blast happens on day five, six or seven, Already on day three, I can tell you with high probability whether one embryo will become a blast. Because once you transfer it, you don't know if it did or not. You will know if it did if, it, if you're pregnant. But if you didn't become pregnant, you don't know if there were other factors impacting it. So if you know that already on hour 30, this is on day two, this embryo can become a blast. And your protocol is let me transfer the embryo to the woman on day two, I want this embryo to grow not in the incubator, but already to grow in the uterus, uh, already from day two. This is a huge improvement on decision-making uh, versus what we have today. So to your question, they view it throughout the process. They can make decisions at any point in time on day two, on day three, on day four, on day five, what they want to do, if they want to freeze, if they want to transfer earlier or later. 
So this is what is happening. Uh, um, and this is a, tr a lot of it is the transparency when you have a lot of the insight. Regarding the second part of your question, yes, we, uh, Chloe does connect, uh, uh, the system connects to the clinics, EMR or EHR, the electronic health or medical records. And imagine now you have an even wealthier set of data to make your decisions uh, based on. So we are already integrated with the leading uh, EMRs, EHRs uh, uh, that are available out there, and we're super happy with that, and I think it streamlines the work. And to that note, we published a study in ASRM 2022, this is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, where we show that uh, using Chloe reduces the mundane administrative work that an embryologist has to do because you have to record a lot of things. There's a lot of administration. By using Chloe with EMR, it's reduced by a third on average. So imagine if it takes me, if I spend uh, 34 hours, 30 hours on average, some clinics spend 14 hours. We see some uh, in some clinics, other clinics, they spend 50 hours. But on average, I can reduce that amount from 30 to 20. Now, those extra 10 hours, that's the other side of the coin, are now translated into productivity. So I think bringing AI supports the decision-making by providing more information, provides the transparency of how you get to that score, but it also alleviates some of the burden of the work and enables you to turn it into more uh, productive work, see more patients, or do additional work with the patient. That's what I was thinking, that actually it would probably foster more collaboration between the clinicians and the patients. And for more, if, if you're reducing the administrative burden, then they have more time to really connect and discuss, okay, what's the right path and maybe go through the details. That's exactly right. And what we also enable uh, with Chloe EQ for IVS patients, we enable the clinicians to share some of the information that they see with the patient. So now, not only do they share, but they have time to have meaningful conversations. So if we go back to your comment before, the stress and feeling of loss of control, now I'm waiting, I don't know what's going to happen. We can actually use that time to have meaningful discussions, understand your process. Me as a woman, have uh, be more empowered, understand more of what is happening, and then you know, this can help me manage also my expectations and not be stressful. Okay, what's going to happen this week? We have 10 uh, fertile eggs. How many are going to come out at the end of, of the week? But really have uh, meaningful, very sensitive, a lot of uh, patient-facing discussions to, to help the process. And we do know that studies show that when the patient is more at ease, more relaxed, Success is, uh, is much better. I would imagine so. So this is, seems like it's just the very beginning of AI within IVF. How do you see the role of AI in IVF evolving in the future? This is a great question. So um, AI and IVF, we today we have uh, two products, one within the IVF space uh, specifically, which is Chloe Embryo Quality and also Chloe OQ, the oocyte quality. The oocyte quality is also in the larger aspect of reproductive care, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But within IVF, you can also use AI to measure the quality of the sperm. You can also use AI to measure the endometrium because you want to transfer the great embryo that you now picked and put it in the best timing for transfer so that it is 
accepted in the best way. So there are many uh, things along this process that AI can support with. There are lots of, uh, not lots, but there are companies that are already dealing with this space. There's also understanding the whole process and digitizing it. I'm sorry, and digitizing it. So that's in the IVF space. We're looking, and I think we're interested in in the broader reproductive care. So our Chloe um, Allsight Insight, sorry, Chloe OQ, is very relevant for egg freezing. So we know that there's delayed uh, parenthood. Women and couples delay parenting too much later in life uh, after managing their career. But we also know that our uh, fertility, our own personal fertility drops over time. We're born with the amount of eggs uh, that we will have for the lifetime and they deteriorate over time. So their quality, their ability to form a name, to fertilize, form an embryo, and then a healthy baby decreases over time. So if we're delaying parenting, we need to consider that our uh, reproductive status is also declining. And this is where egg freezing comes into play. So for egg freezing, and this is the Courtney Kardashian case where what you get is not what you expected. She got a lot of eggs. They looked good, but it's a statistical gamble. Today, there is a calculator that says, okay, this is your age. This is how many eggs you produced. We do a statistical calculation. This means that there's X percent chance you will have one a baby on the first try, X percent on the second try. Now, it doesn't matter if it's you or anyone else around the world, the same age with the same number of eggs, that's the statistic. So you don't really have an understanding of the quality of the eggs. So if you're planning, and this is supposed to be your insurance for having a family later in life, it's not enough because you need to understand with the number of eggs I've collected in in this uh, retrieval cycle, is it enough to have one or two babies? I don't want to find myself in, okay, I'm collecting at age 30. I don't want to find myself at the age of 40 and realizing that none of these eggs are actually good quality, high viability. And this is where Chloe OQ comes into play. It really does uh, enable you to understand the quality of the eggs and help you plan better for your future. You know, you cannot, we cannot freeze time. So we cannot freeze the deterioration of our uh, oocyte, but we can freeze the reproductive value by freezing our eggs. And I think this is a, a modern opportunity for women. And Chloe oocyte can bring it to the next level by saying, not only do you have your eggs earlier, but we know the quality and Nobody promises anything. Right. It's not a bulletproof uh, insurance policy, but it does give you much more information that didn't exist before. So I came across a story and it was a story of somebody who I believe was in her 30s, the early 30s, and she was an IVF baby. She was like one of the first IVF babies. And she was talking about her sibling. She has a younger sibling, three years younger than her, but they were from, their their egg and sperm were technically the same age. And they (laughs) still have some eggs and, you know, left over from that batch even though their mother is no longer in a position to carry it was the she was like wait this conversation around siblings and age that like somebody else could still 
carry a baby from that same and like the age difference would then be 30 something years in between. And it was just such an interesting like thought experiment, but obviously a real case scenario in her life. And I wonder if that shows up with any of your patients or clients, like just interesting stories of, I don't know, like, honestly, it's just like, we're in a new era where new, like this conversation would not have happened even 40 years ago, you know? So I'm curious to see where we land 40 years from now and beyond. No, that's amazing. <laughs> so imagine any IVF cycle, if you have more than one child as an IVF couple or patient, those embryos, if they were done at the same time, to your point, they're at the same age, even though you gave birth to them in different years. and to me, what is more interesting or relevant is if I have, or even in the case that you just mentioned, if I have good embryos left, I'm happy. I have my three kids or two kids and, and I'm happy. I would like to donate these good embryos to couples who are unable to have good quality embryos and let them have these children. You know, it's not just sperm donation or egg donation, let's move now to embryo donation. I love that. You know, she also brought up this idea around being a big sister. And it was like being a big sister to somebody who is technically <laughs> the same age as her. And she's like, it could have gone the other way. The other one could have been the big sister, you know, it was sort of up to chance in a lot of ways. But she was like, but it was all meant to be. She feels like she is the appropriate big sister type. <laughs> and they like fall into the, you know, the trends of siblings and how the first and the second and the third fall in. But it's just such a fascinating conversation. So I imagine you must be filled with fascinating conversations in part of your daily work life. No, it's amazing. It's like um, you see the, when, when you do IVF or when you look at these videos, you see the first milliseconds of life. Once you see, I don't know if you've seen it uh, before, but I think any woman, and, and if you can add this to, to this podcast, that would be amazing because when you share that moment, I think that's a miracle moment. And every time I see it, I get shivers and because that's the first instance of life. One of our slogans is life from the start. And you, that's really the start of life. Once you see that fertilization and then the cells dividing, it's like, Fifth grade biology, but that's the beginning of life. And it's, it's amazing. So in part of the time lapses, you must have that on video. Is that something that's available like on your website? Yes, I'll, I can share it with you. Oh, that, I would love that. Uh, we don't have it on our website because we don't promote uh, time lapse, but I can share you a clip. Uh, I can share with you a clip. Even after the recording, I can share my screen and share with you and you can just I'll share you uh, the link and you can just see. Oh, perfect. It's the first seconds of life. It's amazing. Yeah. What I can do is actually keep it in our show notes so that people can click on it or have access to it from, from the podcast Super. episode. Yeah. Well, Yael, if people want to work with you or work with your organization or just connect with you, uh, where would you direct them? We do a lot on social. Patients they are uh, welcome to join us on social. We are facility underscore IVS. Fertility, F-A-I-R. So the AI is in the fertility, uh, but we're also fair. Fertility underscore IVF. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We have our website, uh, fertility.com. 
for clinicians, for patients, uh, we are doing quite a lot. I think uh, I really do see this as a life mission, uh, bringing new uh, life into the world. I think it's, it's amazing. So anybody interested in, in anything, in stories, in in experiences, we're more than happy to to connect with them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you do. The work you do is incredible and makes a difference. So I appreciate your time to get today and also the opportunity to get to know you better. My pleasure. Likewise. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.